welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. It's a great privilege again to be uh, back with you and to share in this conversation. As Darren mentioned, it is the first Sunday in Advent. Advent is the start of the church uh, year. It is starting not with fireworks, but with calmness, uh, with uh, stillness, with reflection, with consideration, uh, with preparation. And it usually juxtaposes itself around American Thanksgiving. Uh, And uh, so I like to take advantage of this season, as I'm sure many of you do, to think through who and what I'm giving thanks for. And of course, the usual suspects, my family, my wife, Uh, all of the good things, the churches that I get to serve, the people that I get to walk with. Uh, But in my devotional rhythm this morning, the Lord brought a group of people to mind that I am particularly thankful for, and that is those who showed up here three hours ago to uh, put all this together for y'all. Some of them are wearing the orange or rust or whatever color T-shirts are. Um, Some of them uh, were here with all of the things that you see setting up programs and children's ministries and all of the all of the all of the things these are in our modern language what in the old testament would be called oh thanks hey there's a little button on that thing that sends me messages thank you seth there is that better okay cool did anybody hear any of that stuff okay we're good Uh, But I I am just so grateful for the Levites among us, the people who do the work of the ministry, whose worship is rarely anything but foundational to yours. And not just the players and the speakers, the folks that you see, but the people who are behind the scenes and who will be here an hour after you have gone, uh, cleaning up after us all. Uh, Their sacrifice, uh, Jesus just brought to my mind this morning is every bit as important and in many ways more than anything I ever do. So uh, I just wanted to celebrate those folks today. And uh, some of you are in the sanctuary uh, napping uh, in the middle of the sermon. That's just fine. Uh, (laughs) uh, It it is, I I get it. Um, But Advent is that uh, moment that um, and, and by the way, you probably know this, but Advent is, is not just about first coming of Jesus. It's about second coming of Jesus. So it is juxtaposed in between the comings of Jesus, looking back with uh, celebration, uh, maybe even with some nostalgia. Uh, it would be lovely to have a Jesus we could hold, right? Uh, and, and, but at the same time, it's an awareness that he is coming again. And that he, when he was here, gave us pretty explicit instructions on how we're supposed to live in preparation for his coming again. And so I like to uh, kind of bounce back and forth a little bit. And the passage that Amanda read uh, to lead us into worship and the passage that uh, I'd like to read both come from the prophet Isaiah, who is kind of one of those guys who saw more than he saw and invites us into uh, the exploration of what that means. So we'll be looking at Isaiah 42, Isaiah 42. And the passage again that Amanda read, the one that I'll read here, comes to a nation of people 
who are in uh, the deepest darkness that they could have imagined. Uh, they have been in exile. They have gotten there because they didn't take God seriously. And because they didn't take God seriously, they didn't take themselves as God's people seriously. Brothers and sisters, it does not matter what God believes about you if you don't believe the same thing. Because you will not stand in it and you will not act in what God believes about you. Israel had forgotten who they were. They thought they were uh, God's chosen people, but then they interpreted what that meant rather than paying attention to him as he defined for them what that meant. And it meant all kinds of things occurred, and one of the outcomes was they ended up in prison, in exile in Babylon for a period of 70 years. And in the middle of this darkness, in the middle of this bleakness, in the middle of this despair, the question is, has God forgotten us? Are we all done? Is there any hope? And, and the reason I love this passage of Scripture, particularly at this time of year, is that they were wondering whether life would ever be normal again. And here we are now dealing with yet another variant, yet another series of restrictions as people who are just trying the very best they can but don't have adequate information, having to make hard decisions for the sake of others, being met with belligerence and animosity, they're just doing the best they can. This isn't a grand conspiracy to deny people of our rights. This is an invitation for the people of God to be the people of God and serve our community. And here the people are stuck in Babylon, wondering if normal will ever be realized again, and wondering if God has forgotten about them. And some of them are, are resistant and frustrated and angry. Anybody recognize any of those folks? And they have discovered that our anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Our insistence on our rights does not accomplish God's outcomes. That's a hard one for us. We have to look at the lens of our cultural time through the lens of the coming of Jesus, not the other way around. The fact that you are a, a disciple of Jesus relativizes all and every other identity you have. This is what we were talking about the last couple of weeks. Otherwise, there's no hope. There's no hope because he's the center. And if the center fails, all of the things on the edges start falling off. And that will end us up in a Babylon of one kind or another. Does that, does that make sense? So, so what is he saying to us in this Babylon? What is he saying to us in this time of darkness? And, and of course, Isaiah is very familiar with the Old Testament. And, and what Isaiah is suggesting to us is that God loves the darkness. God loves the chaos because it is the seedbed of hope. It's the seedbed of a future that nobody can possibly imagine. As you sit in the darkness, maybe of despair, and I, I don't know that there's a single person in this community that has been untouched with loss in the last year and a half. 
sometimes loved ones, sometimes jobs, sometimes financial uh, security, any one of a number of things. And we sit and we wonder, is there any way home from here? Is there any there to which we want to press? And Isaiah comes into this crashing into this bleakness and says to us in verse 1 of chapter 42, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight, and I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout. He will not cry out. He will not raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. It is in his teaching that the islands will put their hope. This is what the Lord God says. The creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to all its people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand to be a covenant for the people a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another, my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things, I declare, before they spring into being and announce them to you. Sing then to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them, let the wilderness and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let all the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. Because the Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal and with a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. It's a powerful passage to people who can barely see their hand in front of their face in the darkness of their fear. It sounds too good to be true which is exactly what you would expect when you hear the voice of God. It will always be too good to be true. That's how you know it's his voice. So he begins with this promise of a a person. Please notice, hope is not first in outcomes. Hope is not first in desired results. Hope is first in a person. When we place our hope in outcomes... We set ourselves up for disappointment. We set aside in Advent, we set aside expectations of what should be, what we want to be, what we hope will be. We set aside those expectations and replace them sitting patiently with open-handed expectancy. Catch the distinction. Expectations puts handles on hope. Expectancy says, 
My hope is not in an outcome. My hope is in a person, and whatever he brings is good enough for me. Do you, do you see what he's doing here? He's saying to these people in prison, hope in Jesus, not just for Jesus. This is our language. And the distinction I make, I hope, I hope it makes sense to you. When we place our hope in Jesus, we attach our following to who he is. When we place our hope for Jesus, we have a clear idea of what we think the Jesus we hope for will bring when he comes. Does that make sense? Uh, and, and by the way, everybody, when the, Jesus came the first time, were hoping for a Jesus. And they didn't even recognize him when he came because their hoped for Jesus was a disappointment to them. So will yours be, by the way, because any Jesus you hope for is an idol because you have created your hoped for Jesus in your own image, doing what you think ought to be done in the way you think ought, ought to be done. Does that make sense? And instead, we hope not, not in outcomes, but in a person. And uh, otherwise, we, we end up, we end up uh, with this. Uh, have you, are you all familiar with the Stockdale Paradox? You know what that is? Stockdale, uh, uh, James Stockdale was an um, admiral, early uh, prisoner in Vietnam War. And was imprisoned for the majority of the war. And survived imprisonment under the most unspeakable conditions you can possibly imagine, while many of his fellow prisoners uh, died. And so afterwards, they were inquiring as to why Stockdale and those who were in his circle survived while many others died. And his answer was simply this. They were hoping for something. Home by Christmas. Home by Valentine's Day. Home by July 4th home by Labor Day, and everyone who was hoping for outcomes died. Stockdale says, my job was to live in the moment, to be fully myself in prison, not hoping for some external outcome, but hoping in the present moment. Because where you are is where God will meet you. He won't meet you in hope for outcomes. Do you feel the difference? And this is really challenging for us because we, we are drawn forward to, you know, Christmas. We are drawn forward. But here's the problem that Advent invites us to celebrate. When we are drawn forward to an outcome, we will tend to blast right past it and miss it because we're moving too quickly on the thing that we think that it will bring us. Whether it's a marriage or a relationship or a job, all of those outcomes, all of those, those expectations will disappoint you. It's a, it's a recipe. It's a prescription for disappointment. So, so when he comes, he says he, he, is, he is coming in, 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 in the not expected ways that your hoped for Jesus might bring with him. You'll notice what it says. I'm going to put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice. And we play, yes, yes, justice. But then notice what he says. He's not going to shout. He's not going to cry out. He's not going to raise his voice in the streets. Wait, what? 
yeah, the justice he brings will not be accomplished by the ways that we think it ought to be accomplished. He will not be taking out all the bad guys and letting us good guys thrive. Anybody want to guess why? There's no us that are good guys. If it's retributive justice we're longing for, we will be on the point end of that retributive justice. The justice he brings is restorative, not retributive. 75% of the time the word justice is used in the Old Testament it's about restoration, not about retribution. It's not about punishment. It's not about shaming. It's not about condemnation. It's about giving to those who have not what they ought to have. So this is why he says when he comes, he will not falter. He will not be discouraged. Even when the people are, he won't be because his way is gentle. It is this, this force of, of nature that, that reorients things on its way through the system. This hint of wonder. Please notice what he says in verse 3. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He won't falter. He won't be discouraged. He will be humble, gentle, attentive to the broken, attentive to those in despair. And it is in faithfulness that he will bring forth justice. Please notice how this parallels what I just suggested about the Stockdale situation. Faithfulness, everyday faithfulness, is the soil of hope. Everyday faithfulness is the soil in which hope grows. You gotta show up in your own life and not expect your life to do things for you that you're supposed to do for it. I want a job that fulfills me. I want a marriage that brings me life. I want to fill in the blanks. That, no, no, that's parasitic. You're a parasite on your job. You're a parasite on your marriage. You're a parasite on your relationships if you're looking for them to do what you're supposed to do for them. <laughs> D- does that make sense? And I mean, it's, it's lovely if you can find a job that is fulfilling for you. It's lovely. But don't count on it. Because you're the eternal thing, not your job. You're going to live forever. And you want it to bring life to you? Really? Come on. And so it's in faithfulness. It's in showing up in the everyday stuff, doing what's at hand to do as well and as best as you can, and looking for, Jesus says it this way, be seeking the kingdom in all and every one of these things. Because if, if in this everyday faithfulness, we, we, we start to see the green shoots of hope spring up in the bleak landscape, this is why we need to keep our eyes wide open. And why, by the way, hope requires patience. Faithfulness is easy if it's over in 10 minutes. Faithfulness is tough when it lasts 70 years right? And some of us have been, you know, when, Lord Jesus, when? No, no, no. Don't, no. Day at a time. Day at a time. It's not home by Christmas. Do you see? It's present in the moment, paying attention because the only place God's ever going to meet you is right where you are. And if you're not there, you'll miss the appointment. 
So it is, this, it is this invitation not to falter, not to be discouraged, to keep showing up, to keep doing what you know to do. And then notice what he says here. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is in Old Testament uh, imagery, uh, an, an indicator of the world. This, isn't, this message is not just for Israel in prison in, in, in Palestine, I mean in Babylon. It's for the nations of the world. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Here we are in prison with an unimaginable future stretching out before us in the bleak darkness. And you're sowing a seed of light that will shine on the islands of the world, the nations of, yes, yes. That's why you gotta be where you are, and if it's dark, get used to the dark. Be present in it, because in that darkness, seeds are being sown for a future that you cannot, in the darkness, imagine. Why? Well, because this is what the Lord God says. He does his best work in chaos and confusion, the Old Testament imagery of tohu vabohu, formlessness and void in Genesis chapter one. And into that formlessness, into that soup of chaos, God said, let there be light. And here we all are. That's some good work right there. What would he speak into your chaos? What light would he speak into your confusion? What, what wonder might spring forth if instead of longing for an outcome that would have us escape, we developed capacity to be where we are with hope, not for a Jesus who gets us out of the mess, but in a Jesus who comes to us in the mess and leads us to a brand new future. This is the source of hope, the power and promise of God who is the creator of the world. Because he says, look at this, down around verse seven, I called you in righteousness, I will take hold of your hand to be a covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles. You gotta get used to being in the dark because that's, where the people I'm sending you to live. You're my covenant. You're my, my promise that I haven't forget, forgotten about them. You are, you are an ambassador of hope. And if you're, you, you haven't been well-versed in hope, how can you speak it out loud with people who are still in the grip of fear and terror? Do you, you see what he's doing here? He's saying, guys, this isn't about you. It's never been about you. And as soon as you make it about you, you become irrelevant and useless to me. If the world looking in on you says, what is wrong with those people? You're not helpful. But if they look on you and notice that you're not running around like your hair's on fire like everybody else is, you're not anxious with the mandates. You're not anxious with the rule. Conspiracy, yes. Ah, who cares? I'm going to be present where I am and vibrate with the life of the Father in me because the world to whom I am sent is well-versed in crazy. They don't need me adding fuel to the fire. They're crazy. What they need me to be is an ambassador of hope filled with the same spirit that 
the messenger is filled. Just, you see what he's doing here? He's saying to us, I am the Lord. That's my name. I will not yield my glory to another because hope is not in specific outcomes. It can't be limited by their imagination. The point that I want to suggest to you here, notice what he says, the former things have taken place, done. New things, I declare to you. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. So sing to the Lord a new song. Why? Because the old songs won't carry the promise God has for his people. They are songs of nostalgia. Do it again. And God is saying, really? I got stuff none of y'all have even dared to pray for yet. And you, you want me to do it again? C.S. Lewis said, the, the prayer that God hates to answer more than any other is encore. How dare we define the future that God is seeking to create by the past that he's already done creating? How dare we not have an imagination that literally blows our minds Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It is not written on the hearts of man what the Lord has in store for those who love him. Do you see what he's doing here? He said, and remember, this is to a people who are captivated in the darkness of despair. And he says to them, take advantage of the darkness. Don't be limited by what you can't see. Imagine Imagine, let that spirit-empowered imagination anchored in the glory of God expand to the point where you might possibly realize your hope will never be big enough for what God is doing. So sing to the Lord a new song. This is why I think it's going to be the artists that lead us in this next generation the poets, the creatives, songwriters, the sculptors, the painters, the dancers, they're going to lead us because they embody that creative word spoken into the dark. The engineers will have to get in line because there's no way to engineer what God's up to. We, 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 we engineer, I include myself in this because before that 51-year adventure with Youth with a Mission resulted in this call, I was going to be an electronics engineer, I think in a straight line, right? And, and, and we think in these four dimensions. And what if, what if it's not black or white? What if it's not even gray? What if, what if the thing that God is springing forth is technicolor, is multi-hued, is so far beyond the black and white yes or no imagination that we have cultivated to keep us safe in a, in a, in a modern world? What if God is up to something beyond imagining? Who's going to see it? It's going to be the poet that sees it. It's going to be the singer who sees it and who sings it into being. So sing to the Lord a new song. 
be led in these moments where the whole world, look at, let the wilderness and its towns raise their voice. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. This vision of a grand future is unimaginable in the current moment. So we lift up our heads and our hearts and our eyes and we give glory to God because he is marching out like a champion. The weapons of his warfare are not the same as ours. He marches out against fear. So we don't quit. We don't despair. We don't settle for anything less than this grand vision that hope inspires because he is against the enemies of hope. But he, he fights them with faithfulness, with a patience, with persistence, with self-sacrificing love. And we are invited to be ambassadors shaped by hope. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, um, this Advent season is a reminder that you are with us. Even as we prepare room to celebrate again your first coming, we are aware that in this we are... um, to be ambassadors of hope for a world that has gotten lost in the dark. And Lord, I've got to be honest, sometimes I find myself despairing and frustrated and even fearful and listening to the news and all of the cycle. Lord, it's really easy to get pulled out of the moment and distracted by the things happening everywhere else. And I want for myself, I want for these good people to hear again, and particularly, Lord, for those who feel like they've all but given up hope. Jesus, come to them and let them find themselves in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.